and welcome to this Unpacked Short. I'm Charlie Pickles. I am joined as ever by Peter Franklin. Hello. Hello, Peter. Um, And today we are talking about unconscious bias training and why it doesn't work. Peter, what's this an unpack from? It is a piece on the apolitical website um, and it's by Odette Chalaby and it's looking at um, unconscious bias training and we should explain what unconscious bias is. Please do. It's, well, as as the name suggests, it's bias within an organisation, maybe against women or uh, people from other sort of ethnic backgrounds. Um, or class. Or class, yes. Um, uh, bias that isn't deliberate or consciously sort of perpetrated, but kind of it's there in sort of unspoken sort of assumptions and it nevertheless um, influences decisions. And, you know, there's a particular issue here with hiring practices. And, you know, you start the unpacked by talking um, in particular about how, I mean, not just the UK in America, but I'm sure much more widespread um, is the issue around women in senior positions um, and actually you know the whole question in this country about women on boards seems to have reared its head again yes. um, and you know there does seem to be a bit of an argument that you do here and I personally um, in fact uh, at a trustee board meeting um, a while back that that I was on a call for uh, heard this um, from a, a successful man uh, on the uh, trustee board saying but they just you know they just aren't the women you know, it's it's clearly the you know it's clearly the fact that there just aren't women who are capable of joining a board, uh, mm. and that's kind of one of the points that you make. That you know, is that really a, a legitimate argument to make, or is it actually that we've got this kind of unconscious bias um, going on? But what's interesting about your piece is that you're effectively saying yes, the you know there probably is unconscious bias, but the training that seems to become the sort of you know the kind of popular thing to do, and it's in the news this week with a certain well-known coffee, coffee shop chain, chain. Yes. exactly, uh, doesn't work. Yes, I mean there's you know this this is something that you know ought to be quantifiable. You know organisations that have bought into this in a big way ought to be able to show that it's had an impact. Um, there's practically no evidence that it works. I had a great um, experience, actually. Uh, I worked for a big management consultancy um, previously, and uh, it was a kind of sort of, you know, a kind of a way day type um, function. And part of that was a hour on unconscious bias, uh, so unconscious bias training. Um, And it was brilliant because we sat in the room and, you know, we were given examples of, kind of how unconscious bias might play out. Uh, and, it, and this was to do not just by, with hiring, but promotion and things like that. Mm. And one of the examples was, you know, kind of often, uh, you know, women perhaps are, are not encouraged to speak up in meetings or, or you know, kind of maybe they're overlooked for, because uh, they're perhaps slightly less extrovert or things like this. Um, 
But one of the things was, and, you know, they might say something, but then often a man will repeat that thing. Uh, and it was just fantastic because this was pointed out and I, and I made a comment about something. Um, and then a male managing director stood up and made the exact comment that I had made, uh, proving um, that this is indeed an issue. Um, At least he was listening, if only unconsciously. That's true. Small mercies and all that. Silver linings, Peter. Silver linings, we will find. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was very much a classic moment. And actually, one of the other things that the same gentleman, who I have to say was brilliant, uh, and I found him in no way uh, biased or, or sexist, uh, but he also proceeded to inform us it was very important that in performance management, in the performance management process, which as you can imagine, a management consultancy is, is uh, pretty onerous. Um, it was very important we didn't use male words like ambitious and driven, uh, to which I obviously pointed out that I did class myself as ambitious and driven. And as a female, I wasn't worried about those words. But anyway, uh, to get back to the unpacked... Um, so we're saying, you know, there isn't really any evidence, which is slightly bizarre given that companies measure everything else, uh, that unconscious bias works. But you make the point, beautifully put, Peter, um, that the issue is not, not in large part, uh, a dislike of difference. So it's not, I mean, hence it's unconscious. It's not people saying, I don't want to hire a woman or I don't want to hire, um, you know, someone who's from a different ethnicity. But it's a reliance on familiarity. And explain what you mean by yes. that. Well, um it, it, well, just think, I don't know if you've ever conducted an interview. I'm sure you have. Anyone, Many. Anyone who's done that and also, be, also been the one who's being interviewed will know that actually doing, being the interviewer is much more stressful than being the interviewee. And there's all sorts of reasons why that is, because, you know, if you mess up an interview as a sort of the person applying for the job, you just, walk, 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 you know, sort of just go to the next one. If you do it as the person interviewing for the, um, interviewing the, the candidates and you mess up, well, you've got to live with your mistake and your colleagues have to live with your mistake. And so there's actually, that the stakes are pretty high and you're wondering, can I, be, can I believe what this person is telling me about how good they are? And what you're looking for is for a reason to trust and you're looking for, you know, to establish a connection and to do that, you're looking for common ground. That's what strangers do when they're thrown together. They look for common ground. And of course, there's more common ground in a lot of ways between, say, two men, um, uh, two people from, say, a sort of, um, you know, a sort of posh public school. Um, and you're looking for those commonalities, uh, but that kind of the, by, the the sort of byproduct of that is that biases the process away from people who are different. And and it's it's also people who sound like you. It's people who look like you. That's um, right. It's also uh, interestingly, um, we were talking about this earlier, Peter. Um, people who maybe you're more familiar with in terms of the capacity in which you're having that conversation. So yes. one of the things that, that you point out in the impact is that actually having more women on selection panels, for example, mm. doesn't tend to return, you know, a significantly larger number of women to senior roles. Um, and maybe that is because actually, you know, women are much more familiar with working with senior men. Yes, in certain workplaces, a lot of workplaces, yeah, that will be... That will be what they're most familiar with. So um, we need to somehow 
get away from that and there are ways of doing that good good news peter yes uh, what is the good news how can we solve this problem well instead of doing having these sort of very subjective chats um, which is the kind of the format for a lot of interviews you can instead opt for a strategy of objective tests of competence and there's a great example of that is uh, when orchestras started to um, audition new musicians from behind a screen so that you you could only hear what was being played, not see the person doing it. Actually, they hired a lot more women. And over time, from, from having very few women in these top flight orchestras, there's now, you know, it's not, I don't think it's 50-50, but it's, it's a much higher proportion than it used to be. And that's because you had a completely objective you know, it's the music that mattered, not the person playing it. And there ought to be a lot more reliance in interviews on those sort of objective tests. And actually, you know, other examples of that would be things like name-blind applications, as we know that, mm. that often people will make decisions on even just calling someone in for an interview uh, based on, you know, whether their name sounds familiar and kind of identifiable, etc. Yes. And there's been lots of studies on, on that. Interestingly, though, uh, and we won't go down this uh, rabbit hole of a topic, mm. but, you know, there are also challenges with aptitude tests. And, you know, that's where part of the grammar school's discussion, which is a big issue yes. in the yeah. UK, um, comes in of people saying, well, we can find a test that genuinely tests aptitude and won't advantage, yes. you know, people from more privileged backgrounds. And actually, you know, most people who've looked at this would say, no, you can't, not least because there are ways of um, learning how to get through yes. those tests. And it, that's a different question because it's, it you is, know, it, yes. it's, it's not a work-based one. Yes. But nonetheless, there are still going to be challenges with, with tests um, not least around some of the soft things like confidence and, and you know, yes. kind of how comfortable you are and things yes. like that. And a lot of that's down to, you know, how what sort of education people get, exactly. what sort of parental background. So, you know, by the time you get, you know, it's not all on the employer here. You know, there's there's a whole chain of, of um, transition and every link needs to do its part. Thank you very much, Peter. Um, again, a wonderfully fascinating discussion um please do subscribe if you haven't already done for our podcast and remember that we also have a weekly podcast uh, and we have our audio documentaries thank you james for producing this podcast thank you all for listening and please do tune into the next one mm-hmm.